Every day, our choices shape us. Sometimes it's hard to see this and we think our circumstances are what matter. But in times of clarity, we see that it's our decisions that make us. In the past two months, this has become more obvious to many of us. We've seen how the priorities we've settled on years ago have affected us, how our relational choices have impacted who we've become, the differences that our decisions about God have made for us. As life has been put on hold, I've heard from many of you that you've been able to reflect more deeply on some big decisions. And listen now, even though this time is difficult, I want to start with a challenge. I want to challenge you to think about this season as a gift from God to you. A time in which God is giving you the chance to be thoughtful about your decisions and to consider what it would mean for you to decide to be done with the wrong paths that you've been on and get onto the right paths instead. Here's where Jesus' parables are such a gift. If you will listen to them with an open heart, you will receive God's push toward the right decisions, toward deep joy and genuine peace and true freedom, toward a life of steady gratitude and confidence, the gift of true life forever. Now, everyone who visits me in my study knows that it's cluttered with keepsakes. A friend asked me this week, which one brought me the most joy? I thought immediately of this old wooden suitcase. It's a gift that was given to me by my friend, Matt Oliver. I've had it for a long time. It wasn't a birthday gift. It wasn't for Christmas. There was no occasion. He just knew that I wanted it. And he knew that it would make me happy. And so he bought it for me. It was a pure gift, and whenever I see it, I think of him, and I feel grateful. Now, I want you to think for a moment about a gift you've received, something lovely and unexpected and graciously given, something that reminds you that you matter a lot to another person. Now, I want you to consider for a moment, and I want you to know this is absolutely true, what I'm about to say. I promise you, the parables of Jesus are utterly precious gifts to you from God himself. Each one holds a treasure that God is giving you personally, a gift that he wants to use to unlock things in your mind and in your heart that cannot be unlocked any other way pure gifts, each one a sign of how much you matter to God. I want you to keep that in mind as we learn in the months ahead from the parables of Jesus. And let's start today with our first one. The parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. We'll take Jesus' story one bit at a time. First, the setting and the characters, and this is in Luke 18, verse 10. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Two men are going to speak 
with God. One you admire, the other you despise. Depending on your background, you may hear Pharisee and think, he's the villain, but that's not how it was when Jesus told this story. The tax collector is the bad guy here. Everyone hates him. Picture someone you wouldn't want in the same church as you, because no one who took God seriously would do what he does. That's the tax collector. On the other hand, imagine the guy you would want in leadership because you admire his commitment to God and his drive to do what is right, upstanding in every way. That's how the Pharisee appears to the people listening to Jesus' parable. These two have gone up to the temple to pray because that's where God has promised to be. God said so to Moses on Mount Sinai. Have the priest bring the same offering every morning and every afternoon at the entrance to the holy place. Honor me at the altar daily and I will meet with you there. I will be among my people. These men have come to stand before God. One who seems to be right with God and the other who seems to be altogether wrong with God. Now imagine you stand there too, somewhere between the one you admire and the other you despise. Look at yourself for a moment. That's what Jesus wanted in telling these stories, for each of us to look at ourselves and to reflect on the decisions we are making. As you stand before God, What will it take for you to be right with him? Will you have to make some changes in your behavior? Stop doing some things that you've become used to? Or will you have to start doing some things that you've been putting off? Will you have to become a different kind of person? What will have to change? Here is a defining decision. The ground that you choose to stand on before God will make all the difference. Jesus is going to picture two different options, and he'll do that through the prayers that these two men offer. You must put yourself there as they pray, and then take your time to see yourself in this scene. Let's take the first prayer. Verses 11 and 12. The Pharisee, standing by himself, was praying thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. The good guy is standing by himself, separated from the people around him physically, but also by his accomplishments, by the good things he does and by the bad things he doesn't do. He doesn't take what's not his. He doesn't trick his neighbors to benefit himself. He's not unfaithful to his commitments, especially to his spouse. He would never pursue a career in which he sided with the enemy to exploit his own people like the tax collector. What God commands is what he does. 
fasting twice a week, proving his reliance upon God, giving a tenth of everything, expressing obedience and trust. In both, he goes beyond what is required. Here is a man who has done well. We should aspire to this level of faithfulness. But then again, something's off. God, I thank you. His prayer starts well. But then after that, it's all about how good he is compared to other people. There isn't a whiff of gratitude toward God in his prayer. And now I wonder if you can see through what he says to the decision he's made about what makes a person right with God. Can you see it? For him, it is merit. The ground he stands on before God at the temple is his own performance. He trusts in his own righteousness. We know this is what Jesus wanted his hearers to see because Luke tells us when he introduces the story, look back with me at verse 9. Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Jesus told this story because he knew that every person who stands before God will have to make a decision about where he's going to place his trust. And one of the temptations that we will constantly face is the choice to believe that we can perform well enough to make ourselves right with God. This is a picture of what it looks like when someone decides for that way trusting that his own righteousness is what makes him right with God. Whenever that choice is made, it will always have consequences. For starters, that decision puts a person under constant pressure. Think of it. Instead of taking pleasure in how he lives, his goodness will be experienced as a performance to be judged. If he receives praise or any blessing at all, to him it will be like getting paid for work rather than receiving a gift. And then it will always change how he relates to others, turning his companions into competitors. If my standing before God depends on my performance, then I need the people around me to do worse than I am. Like when your professor decides to grade the final on a curve, you want your classmates to do badly. You need them to fail. And that is the definition of regarding others with contempt. When their failure is your success. That's plain as day in the Pharisee's prayer that he is actually thankful for the failure of the tax collector because of how good it makes him look. Now think of yourself again. If you try and stand on your own merit before God, which you are free to decide, you will experience the same outcome. It will be bad for you and for your relationships with the people around you, but that's not the worst of it. The most important consequence is the impact it will have on your relationship with God. And nothing matters more than that. At the end of his story, Jesus is going to describe that. But before we get there, there's another way, which can be seen in the prayer of the tax collector, an alternative decision for how to relate to God. Let's look. In verse 13, But the tax collector, standing far off, 
would not even look up to heaven, but was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Even apart from what he says, we see a completely different character here. He stands alone because he feels inferior. He won't even look up because shame keeps his eyes down. Instead of hands lifted to God, they strike his own heart. It's grief and not pride when he looks at himself. And then his prayer. In every way, it's the opposite of the Pharisees. He says only one word about himself. Sinner. And he asks God for one thing. Mercy. Now try now to imagine yourself with the crowd to whom Jesus first told this story. And I want you to try this. Imagine Jesus looks you right in the eye and says to you, I want you to make a decision about how you are going to stand before God. How you will get right with God. What you will stand on before him. Is it going to be like the first man, counting on your own merit? Or will it be like this second man, with his simple request? This is a real decision that Jesus wants you to make, and it's got to be one or the other. Now, if we were there in that original crowd, we would have an advantage. There is a subtlety in the language of antiquity which gets lost in English. It's hidden in the tax collector's request. Mercy is the English word. But that translates more than one word in Greek. Often in the New Testament, when a character cries out for mercy, He's asking for eliaison. That's the Greek word for the emotion you feel when you see someone suffering with an affliction they don't deserve, feeling bad for someone because he got a raw deal. But this is not what the tax collector asks for in Jesus' story. Listen carefully. This is his prayer in Greek. Ho theos. That means, O oh God. Hilastheti moi. That's his request. Notice he does not ask for eliaison. He's not asking for pity. He asks for atonement. That's what hilastheti means literally. It's a request rooted in the Hebrew concept of expiation, which means to wash away a stain which requires divine cleansing, to cover up an offense which could never be undone. The tax collector is pleading with God, forgive my failures with an act of divine clemency. Set aside my transgressions. Cancel the debt which has become too great for me to repay. That's what he asks for. And then there's something more in the timing of his request. You need to picture this to really grasp the story. Public prayer happened at the temple in Jerusalem during the time of daily offering. Twice a day, the people gathered there while the priest 
stood behind the altar which was set in front of the holy place where God had promised to dwell. And immediately before public prayers were offered, a lamb was brought and laid upon the altar, along with an offering of grain mixed with oil and wine, and the lamb was sacrificed. To make atonement for the sins of the people gathered, its blood was spilled in full view of everyone there. When the lamb is slaughtered, that's when these two men offer their two very different prayers. And now the real distinction between their decisions is clear. It all comes down to where they are looking when they stand before God. One man looks at himself, comparing his performance to others. He chooses merit. The other man looks at the lamb that has been sacrificed, and he asks God to make it count for him. He chooses mercy. The decision which Jesus wants you to make is simple. Leave aside every attempt to earn your place before God through merit and be right with God by receiving his mercy. Don't try to stand on the ground of your own accomplishments. Stand on the foundation laid by the lamb that has been sacrificed for you. This choice is given to you by the one who is the lamb who was slain for us and our salvation. Decide now for mercy and not merit. What a wonderful choice to be given, but also a difficult one to accept. As anyone who's been given a gift he doesn't deserve will know, it is hard to receive mercy. The very first day I saw this box, I had decided to buy it myself. Now, I have a very strict procedure when it comes to purchasing secondhand items. As soon as I enter a shop, I glance around, and when I see something that catches my eye, I always decide how much I'll pay for it before I look at the price tag. And then I stick to my decision no matter what. When I saw this box, I liked it a lot, and I decided $30. Now, my friend Matt was with me that day, and he watched me when I flipped the tag. $50. He asked me, do you want it? And I told him, I'll get it for 30 bucks, not a penny more. The shop owner could tell I was interested, so we started the back and forth. Are you flexible? Maybe. Make me an offer. 30. No. So I say, okay. And I put it down like I don't want it. But then she says, I'll tell you what, and as soon as she says that, I know I won. $45. I'll knock off 10%. I respond, I'll give you $30. She acts offended, obviously, starts telling me it's solid wood, all metal fixtures. She uses the word vintage. It's the same as the suitcases that went down with the Titanic. I don't care. $30, yes or no? And now she says no, so I set it down, walk away, and we go through the rest of the shop. At this point, my friend Matt is embarrassed, and he should have been. I was so obnoxious. But then as we start heading out, the woman gestures to another employee, 
and she grabs it and brings the box over to the counter, and she tells me, all right, $30. And I say thank you, but what I mean is I win. She rings it up, $32.10. You said $30. They're sales tax. And then I say this. I told you I would only pay $30 for it. And she grabs the box, get out, and don't ever come back. Two weeks later, Michelle and I drive out to Somerset to spend time with Matt and his wife, Corinne. We're all sitting in the living room playing cards when I see the corner of the box sticking out from underneath the armchair that Matt is sitting on. And I look up at him and he's smiling. And at first, I pretended not to see it. I was so embarrassed for how stubborn I'd been in the shop. The thought of Matt driving all that way. She probably added $20 when she saw him. And he was a graduate student at the time. I felt so ashamed that I hadn't paid for it. How ungrateful I was toward the woman when she lowered the price so much. How petty I'd been. I wanted to hide from Matt's kindness. But then his smile... I felt so loved and so grateful and so thankful to have a friend like him. Jesus' story teaches us that what God wants each one of us to do is to accept the mercy that he's decided to give in Jesus, to let Jesus give himself with everything that it costs and to receive that gift gratefully. And then when we stand before God to stand on that gift. When you decide to receive mercy, the consequences are magnificent. For one thing, you become a person who is free to experience true gratitude, to be thankful that Jesus has decided to give so much for you. When you lay down your claims, then you can receive mercy and feel joy. And then... Mercy always changes your relationships with the people around you if you'll receive it. It frees you from comparing yourself endlessly with others, since for you, it's God's kindness and generosity that establishes your worth. So the pressure's off. When you stand on the kindness and love of God, all you want to do is pass it on. And then finally, and this is the most important consequence, mercy changes everything in your relationship with God. That's what Jesus says. Listen to how he ends his parable. This is after describing the prayer of the tax collector. In verse 14, I tell you, this man went down to his home justified rather than the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled but all who humble themselves will be exalted. The good guy did not leave the temple justified before God. He failed because he believed that he didn't need the lamb that was sacrificed on the altar. He thought he could be right with God on his own, and he was wrong. Everyone who thinks that is wrong. But the tax collector went home right with God. He knew 
that his only hope was that the lamb that was sacrificed was for him too. So he humbled himself and he asked for mercy, which is the only thing that makes anyone right with God. Jesus has given himself as the lamb who takes away the sin of the world. And all he wants is for you to receive what he's given, to accept his gift and be free. Mercy, not merit. The decision is yours. Before we sing one more song, let's join our hearts together in prayer now. God, I thank you for gifts which are given and remind us of mercy and grace and kindness. I thank you for friends who care for us just because of who we are. I thank you for the many ways that friendship can remind us of the mercy that you have for us in Christ. God, this morning we thank you for the gift of the parables of Jesus. And I ask that each and every one of us in this time would be put in the place of decision. And I pray that very simply we would be freed to decide for your mercy and not our own merit. I thank you for your love and your grace and your kindness and your generosity, which in Christ are perfect. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.